Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be together. We're on a journey to the cross this Easter. We're in our fourth week. We began with this triumphal entry, and we saw how God was orchestrating events, that uh, we see his sovereignty on full display. We we followed along this journey as uh, Jesus instituted communion, and they, they shared a meal together, and a meal that would explain his death and uh, give us an opportunity uh, to learn about having life in Christ. And then last week, we eavesdropped on this conversation with Jesus and Peter, as Peter would go on and deny Christ. And it was a, uh, a, a place of discouragement, a place of pain, but also of encouragement. Because Jesus would say to him, when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers, strengthen my church. Well, today we're going to continue on this journey, and we're going to stick with Peter and some of his other disciples as we go into this place of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an important place. I would say if I had to count on one hand the places of importance in the Bible, I would put this on that one hand. Gethsemane is an important place. The the picture of Jesus that we get at Gethsemane is a critical place. I want to suggest to us this morning that Gethsemane is a battlefield. It is a battlefield. It is a place of spiritual battle. We're going to take a look at the battle that Jesus will go through, his disciples will go through, and then I'm going to invite us all to step into that space and see where Jesus can meet us in our own battle. So whatever you bring this morning, whether your week has been at the top of the mountain, or you've had a really hard week. I know some of you have had hard weeks. And some of you have been praying, and your prayers have not been answered in the manner and the timetable that you would like. Anybody with me on that? Where is God in the midst of all this? Where is God when it's really difficult? Gethsemane, in many ways, will answer that question for us. Let's look at Gethsemane for a moment. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Let's set the scene for just a moment. First of all, Gethsemane, the name itself, is Olive Press. It is a a, a place of crushing in some ways. It is the Garden of Gethsemane. It is a, a private olive garden. And when you think biblically, if you look at the whole deal, you go back, you look back and you go to Genesis and you look forward to Revelation, the Bible, in many ways the the, the whole big story of the Bible is about gardens. There's the Garden of Eden, there's the garden that we'll see in Revelation 22 where we have the river of life and trees and uh, Bible scholars out there do a little homework, research all the garden imagery in the tabernacle, in the temple, you will see that the big story of the Bible is about restoring a perfect garden. 
So the disciples, they often met in this garden. We know from John's account that the disciples would often go to this garden of Gethsemane. When Judas would go off to betray them, he knew their secret place. And those events would unfold. So Gethsemane is a special place. Now Jesus has already instituted communion. He has uh, given them, some, his disciples, some of the most famous, some of the most comforting words. I go to prepare a place for you. He has said these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has said these words. I will not leave you as orphans. I will give you the Holy Spirit. He has said all of these words. Jesus has taught them heavy stuff. Jesus will soon be arrested. There will soon be an entourage of as many as a thousand Romans and and Jewish officials who will come and arrest him. But Jesus has a special place to go here. He will leave eight behind, and he will take his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And it's not the first time that uh, Jesus has called out these three, and it won't be the last time. They will go on and have a special place in church history. He has invited them to a greater level of intimacy and responsibility. So we're in Gethsemane. I would invite you to be in Gethsemane this morning. First of all, let's look at Jesus's battle. What is the battle? What is going on at the depths of his soul? Jesus is experiencing such deep sorrow, deep pain. And one of the details that I don't want you to miss, it's remarkable that he invites his inner circle to come fight the battle with him. Now, let's look at this battle. Matthew 26, 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. It's a battle to persevere to get to the cross, to get to the very place where the price would be paid. Now, we have like 2,000 years of history and tradition and Easter Sundays and Good Fridays and all these things that sometimes in our, in our observance and our celebration, we can forget that this wasn't a foregone conclusion, that there was a real battle taking place that Jesus would have to fight. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. There's an intensity and an intimacy to this battle. In Mark's account, he will, call, he will use the term Abba, Father, Daddy. I mean, it is the most intimate of terms. Luke, in his account, will describe that 
that Jesus is uh, sweating tears of blood. That he's at the point of anguish and agony. That as Luke says, and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now some say it's this medical condition hematidrosis where the the capillaries will actually expand and you will literally sweat blood. Some will say this is the first drop of blood shed by our Lord. Others say it's just metaphorical and it describes the level of anguish. But whatever the case, the pain, the anguish is real. What we see in Gethsemane is the humanity of Jesus. Let me do 60 seconds of church history. For historians out there, you go back to 451, the year. That's way back. This is before Google. (laughs) Ask Google, what does this mean? Before all the volumes of commentaries were written, so they had this, this council at Chalcedon, and they're trying to figure out, okay, How do we explain, how do we understand the very nature of who Jesus is? That's an important question. How do we understand who he is? So they bring all the church leaders together, and and part of what they were doing, some people were saying Jesus only had one nature. It was kind of a mix of human and divine. Maybe it's 60-40, maybe it's he's kind of a godly human or he's a, a humanly God. And, and they said, no, 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 we have to define this clearly. We have to set some boundaries. We have to establish that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's a mystery, but we have to set some boundaries. It's without confusion, without division, without change, without separation, that We need to fully embrace his full humanity, and we'll see why as we go. But Jesus' physical suffering is real. This is not pretend. This is not play acting. His suffering is real. Hours and hours of physical torture ahead of him. The abandonment of his friends is real. The humiliation he will experience is real. The cup that he will drink is real. Now, what is that cup? The cup is the cup of God's wrath. Let me give you one Old Testament passage here. Let me take you to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17. This is in the context of the Babylonian captivity, and they're, they're, they're going to kick uh, the people of Israel out and... and uh, rule over them, and and God's judgment will be upon them. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. This is the cup of God's wrath that he will drink. We don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to think, but this is reality. Ultimately, drinking this cup will cause Jesus to be separated from his Abba Father, but he will do this on our behalf. 
We need to see that this morning. Now let's look briefly at this journey that Jesus will go on. His first prayer, is there another way? Is there another way? As we were talking in staff about this, one staff, it kind of reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. You know, is there any other way? Would there, would there be another opportunity? Would God somehow do something and make it so he would not have to go and bear the cup in this way? Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There's a process of submission here. What is going on here? The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible itself. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 5, verse 7, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. When is this? This is this moment. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring the writer of Hebrews to comment on this particular event. Are you with me? Now, when Jesus would do miracles and he would do other things, it was like that. But there is a struggle here that is so present in the text. To the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, fully God, he learned obedience in his humanity from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all obey him. Jesus will submit. Jesus will surrender his will to his father. Jesus will win the battle. He will win the battle. He will go to the cross on our behalf. He will submit. He will suffer. He will die. And his prayer will be heard because he will rise. Now, As Jesus is winning his battle, the disciples have a different battle. Remember, he has invited them to join him. The disciples' battle, Matthew 26, 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Jesus is sweating blood. They're asleep. Why? Why are they so tired? Do you ever look at the disciples sometimes and say, if I were there, I wouldn't have been such a knucklehead. I wouldn't have fallen asleep. I would have been bold. I would have stayed in prayer. Mm. Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I was trying to connect with this this week, and I was reminded, I'm like, with all the intensity, how do you fall asleep during that? I mean, he told them what was going to happen. And then I was reminded way back, and for some reason it hit me this morning, it reminded me of when my wife Kim was in labor with our first child, with my daughter. 
and she had a fever, and it was not going the way we had prayed for and planned. It was a little more complicated than that. And I remember in the middle of the night, in that hospital, young, I can say stupid, exhausted, confused. If you had given me a bed, I would have gone to sleep in five seconds. But I was so overwhelmed with fatigue, and I'm thinking, how, how could you sleep? When, when you don't have much left, when the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you been in those situations? Sometimes when you suffer with somebody, you go through something hard with somebody, it absolutely sucks every bit of life out of you. Have you been there? I've been in different places in hospital rooms. Sometimes it's harder in the seat next to the bed than it is being in the bed. But there's a fatigue, there's an exhaustion, and I, I don't think it was just the meal or the wine. Or I, I think there's just a, a deep exhaustion in the disciples. But as Jesus wins his battle, the disciples will lose. Three times they'll fall asleep on him. I want to take you to verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now don't miss this. Three times they've fallen asleep on him. Does Jesus say, fine, I'm done with you all. You're not any help to me anyway. Go back to sleep. I've got to go to the cross. I've got to do my thing. I've got to drink this cup. Thanks for nothing. What's he say? Rise, get up. Let's go. They will fail him again. Just as Jesus predicted. They'll all abandon him. Jesus in a moment is going to get a nanosecond of courage and cut off the ear of one of the guards. Jesus will do the healing and the story will unfold. But he still believes in them. Later Paul writes in the book of Galatians that Peter, James, and John are reported as pillars in the church. Now, we've got Jesus' battle, we've got the disciples' battle, let's talk about our battle. Have you been to Gethsemane? Let me ask you that this morning. Have you been to Gethsemane? It's the place where your spirit and your flesh are in battle, where your desires and your body clash where your I want to and your I don't feel like it don't match up. They're at war. Where your beliefs and your experience don't match up. It's where your will and God's will, God's timetable don't line up. It's a place of fatigue. It's a place of weakness. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place where you've pleaded with God for something, and he hasn't answered your prayer 
when and how you've wanted him to. Have you been to Gethsemane? Have you lost a relationship that meant the world to you? Have you said goodbye to a dream that got you out of bed every morning? Have you lost a job that's provided more than a living for you? Have you lost a child, a grandchild? Have you painfully watched somebody you love turn away from you and turn away from God? Have you walked with someone through their loss? Have you pleaded with the Lord to bring healing and restoration? Have you prayed, Lord, whatever it takes? And there seems to be no answer to your prayer. You've been to Gethsemane. The question in the battle is, God, are you really good? Are you really with me? Can I really trust you? Because when I look out and I see my circumstances, I'm not so sure. When I look inside and I analyze my feelings, I'm not so sure. I'm hurting and I'm not so sure, Jesus, you really understand. Gethsemane is the answer to this question. But here's what what Jesus does for us. Gethsemane is more than an explanation to the question. It's not a theological formula. When you're in Gethsemane, formulas don't do much for you. Little little snippets of scripture tacked up on the fridge don't do a lot for you. When you're in Gethsemane, you need something more. In fact, you need something more than a something You need a someone. When we're in Gethsemane, we need somebody who's gone before us. Somebody who's been there. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Take you to Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Jesus is saying, I've been there. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus is ready to meet us in Gethsemane, and he's ready to give us something. Continue with verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. To help us in our time of need. You can meet Jesus in Gethsemane. He's there. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to minister to you. Some of you, maybe for the first time, you need to meet Jesus in Gethsemane. I can see that Jesus has gone through what I've gone through. I can put my trust in him. 
Maybe that's some of you today. You can simply ask him to meet you there, and he will respond. But Gethsemane is not the end of the journey, my friends. He'll meet you there. He'll meet you wherever you are. But one of the things I believe the Lord wants us to hear this morning is Gethsemane is not the end of the journey. Jesus will say to his disciples, rise, get up, get up. We've got work to do. Now, some of you aren't ready to leave, and you need to stay with Jesus in Gethsemane. You need to hurt, and you need to cry. And if you have people in your life, you need to cry with them in their hard places. But it's, I think it's fascinating when you go on and you look at the rest of the story, and you see that Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John, and they will all go to their deaths. They will all suffer and die for Jesus. They will be pillars of the church. Paul will come along. A few days, a few years later, Paul will also have his Gethsemane moments. He will be in his own period of suffering, almost echoing Jesus' words. Three times he will ask God to remove This thorn in my flesh, remove this trial, whether it was a person or a physical ailment, we don't know, but the response was this, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this morning, as you you see Jesus at Gethsemane, know that he is there for you. He is there to give you exactly what you need. And he's there with you as you get up and take that step. He's also there when you invite somebody else to come along. Say, let me show you my Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you've given us Gethsemane. That we can see you, Jesus, knowing that you're fully God, but you're also fully human. And there's no pain that you haven't experienced. We thank you that you drank the cup. You suffered for us. So now may your spirit draw us near to you and minister to our hearts and our minds this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.